today, we're going to pause from our series in the book of Genesis because for the last number of years, the first Sunday in November has been International Orphan Day. And so we have celebrated that and pointed out different ministries locally and internationally. Last, week, last year, we had Children of the Nations and, and the orphans they have in the DR and the Haiti and, and, and Africa. And then um, they didn't, uh, International Orphan Organization did not check with me, and they moved it to January. Well, that doesn't work with our teaching schedule, so we're having International Orphan Sunday today here at Grace Point, okay? And so uh, we, we, we support, I mentioned at the beginning, we support Tony Rodriguez. Tony, why don't you come on up here, my friend? Um, uh, we, we met in California, we're both youth pastors, and, and, and he went to India, and God radically changed his life, I mean, completely changed his life, and a number of years ago, really stepped out in faith and to really become a missionary to India, and, he, and we support him. We're one of his supporting churches, and he lives here in Kitsap County now, uh, but he leads teams the, uh, to the villages, um, hundreds and hundreds of villages, uh, to preach the name of Jesus, the one and only name, and also partnering uh, with an incredible ministry that, that loves on these amazing, uh, lovable um, orphan uh, boys and girls. So he's going to get to share that today, and I want to ask you in advance... We talked about last week that faith requires movement, that you would be willing to support some orphans who have lost, completely lost, their sponsorship. Now, a place, an a, a incredible place where they get housed and fed and loved and schooled and me, uh, medicine and, and all that. May God, just, I pray that you'd be willing to be willing, maybe even today, to begin the support for some orphans that have completely lost uh, their financial support. Would you give a warm welcome to my friend, Tony Rodriguez. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Arise. There we go. Pleasure to be with you this morning. <clears throat> it's an honor to, to speak with you and, and to let you know uh, what the Lord is doing in uh, places that I get to visit. Uh, it is very exciting and, uh, and to share with you uh, just some of the stories this morning, because believe me, I can go six, seven, eight hours, but I promise I won't, um, uh, of what the Lord is doing and how exciting it is. Um, Barry asked me to, to share uh, what the Lord is doing in India, and I was trying to get my head around that, like, how do I, how do I say this in, in a morning? And the word uh, uh, came to me about uh, the Great Awakening. Uh, was an, awa an awakening, and what an awakening is, is, is when somebody is moving from being spiritually dead to alive in Christ. Of course, we had what they call two great awakenings in the United States, uh, but in India, it's like lights are on, folks. It's, it's happening, and if you want to be a part of that, start thinking about it, because I'm going to invite you. Okay? You ready? All right, here we go. So, um, I want to take a look at uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 6 and verse 21, just to kind of start with. It's, uh, it starts off and it says, Tychicus, our dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am doing and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Isn't that exciting? This guy's job was to go around and tell everybody else what the Lord is doing. And, 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 I, and I love that. It's like, man, I want that job. And today I have it. 
So here we go. Uh, often um, people will uh, <clears throat> be asking me, what's it like to go to India? And I, and I tell them, it's like walking in the book of Acts. At least, at least the part where it's really cool for the church, right? Not the persecution part, but when the lights come on and people get healed and people come to know Jesus, it's uh, fantastic. Uh, God is building up his kingdom and people are coming to Christ in large numbers. Uh, people are getting healed, the blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak, the lame walk. People who are oppressed are delivered. The word of God is being declared um, to a neglected people group, often for the first time. And I've been serving the Lord for now over 41 years. And I have traveled a lot of different places. But there is nothing that I have seen that comes close to what the Lord is doing in southern India. Every trip is unique. I've been to India 49 times personally. I've sent over 100 teams to India. And each group that comes back, their stories are unique. They're different. But one thing is very, very true. When they come back, they are all in awe of who God is. Because God is doing something amazing. I want to let you know that God is redeeming people. He is redeeming people. Um, <clears throat> Matthew... Uh, 28 tells us this, that, you know, this is after Judas has died. It says, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to him and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I started going to India because I heard of a great awakening amongst uh, the uh, neglected people groups over there. And I realized that uh, at that time in my, in my research that less than 3% of the Indian population know Christ. Now, when your population is 1.4 billion people, 3%, it's like, well, it, it can be better, Right? And uh, if you're like me and you like to go fishing, um, you like to fish where the fish are, right? So call me selfish, but I like to go where people want to know Jesus. And uh, whoo, fun stuff happens, right? You put your line in the water, uh, you're going to get a tug on that pole. Uh, so uh, we have seen a lot of people come to Christ. When I say that, up to six, over 600,000 people have come to Christ uh, in this time. Yeah. So, um, and, and, then, and we've been doing that since 2001, so kind of put your head around that. Um, but, but here we go. So we go out to the communities, and we interact with people, and I, I ran across this gentleman here. I don't know if you can see his picture. Yep, there you go. Uh, and, I, and I asked him, I said, sir, um, who do you worship? And he said, oh, you know, we worship, uh, we have our own gods in our own village. Uh, we have gods already. And I said, really? Uh, what do your gods do for you? He ponders for a little bit, and he says, uh, well, they keep us from sickness and disease. I said, really? Is anybody sick um, or ill in your village? Yes, sir, we're all sick and ill. Right. So I said, well, uh, it sounds like your gods lie to you. Yes, that's true. And I go, well, uh, that's something that Jesus cannot do. Uh, his very nature won't allow him 
to lie. Uh, he is just, he is righteous, he is faithful, he is full of compassion, uh, and he reaches out uh, to the brokenhearted. Uh, would you like to know more? Yes, sir, I would. So I got to explain the gospel to this gentleman, uh, sharing about the God that we worship, who we're talking about, the creator of heaven and earth. I got to talk about Jesus, his son, and what he did and how he lived his life in this world. I got to talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and that his one day will return. I talked about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit indwells every believer and that you could have peace with God on this very day. Sir, would you like it? Guess what his answer was? It was yes. Yes, sir, I would like this. And everybody that was there accepted Christ. It is so rich and it is so good because they worship gods that they can't connect with or they worship gods that aren't the creator of the universe. And now they have peace with the God who created them. And they know that if they would die on this very day, they have peace with God and they'll be welcomed as God's children into God's kingdom. And that, you guys, is exciting. <clears throat> Sometimes we arrive in a village and, and we step out of a van. This is what happens. We step out of a van and, and this has happened on a number of times. People will go, wait, don't say anything. You were in our dreams last night. And, uh, and you're bringing the message of light. And it's like, uh-huh. Uh, we're going to go gather everybody else so uh, that they can hear the message of light because the darkness doesn't want to hear it. It's like, like, like light and darkness have personalities for them, right? Uh, and, and so they go and they gather everybody and they tell everybody to come and to listen to the message of light and that God has brought his servants here to share it with them. And I, and I think to myself, like, you know, you've read the scriptures about that, that God goes out before us, Right? And, uh, and that's very true. In 2 Corinthians 2, 14, it says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us as his captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Isn't that great? That's what God does. And, uh, and, and people are so eager to hear the word of God. They're so eager to connect with a loving, compassionate creator who is righteous, who is just, um, who, uh, who does not lie, speaks to truth and brings grace. Is that exciting? It is exciting. It is exciting. Um, over and over again, people in India long to connect and, and to hear the good news. Um, many times... People, like, they'll stop us in the middle of proclaiming uh, the message. One time I was sharing in a village, and, the, and we started to share the gospel, and this one guy had a machete in his hand. I guess he was a field worker, although I didn't know it at the time. So my anxiety level was a little high. And um, so we started sharing the gospel, and he starts waving his machete. I thought, oh, this is going to hurt. And, uh, and um, I said to my interpreter, why is he waving his machete? He goes, Tony, he wants you to stop. I said, I, I got that. Um, and he goes, because he wants to gather everybody else to hear this. It's an important message that they've been waiting for. I thought, who am I? Right? 
Who am I that I get to experience something like this? But God chooses people, uh, faithful servants who are willing to go forward and to take a step of faith. And I find myself saying I'm very, very fortunate and I am in awe of God. There was another gentleman one time we came across these people. Uh, I was having lunch. It was uh, not, not long after 9-11 and, um, and the anxieties were high traveling international. And I don't know about you, but uh, I did have uh, some, uh, some cautious feelings uh, regarding the Muslim community. Most of us had it at that time. And uh, we were, I was eating with a student, a high school student, first time traveling international. And somebody, we were, were eating in a van and not wanting to bother anybody. It was hot and wanted the air conditioning on. And uh, this guy raps on my window. So what are you, what are you doing? I said, we're, we're eating lunch and, and uh, didn't want to bother anybody. Because you come to my house and you have your lunch in my house. I didn't know him. I thought, oh, this is going to get interesting. So we go and we have lunch, and uh, I find that uh, they're all Muslim. And uh, so they ask us, what are we doing there? And I said, well, we're sharing how God has touched our lives and, and how uh, we now walk with the Lord because of what Jesus has done. And we're sharing the gospel, uh, the message of Jesus wherever we go. And he goes, this is good. Let me get all the men. So 19 Muslim men that belong to this patriarch, right, are all sitting there watching us eat lunch and sharing our testimonies. And I thought, man, is this real? Is this real? So we share our testimonies, we share the gospel message, and all 19 of those men gave their life to Christ. All right. Somebody said, wow, I say that a lot. I say that a lot. Wow. Uh, that's amazing. So, um, so I, I, just, I, I, I want to share these stories because they're personal, right? That, that how God reaches down and, and he makes himself known uh, to a people that are maybe ne uh, neglected or forgotten. There was this one lady that I met, uh, you're going to see her picture in a second, uh, with her husband. And uh, she was a faithful follower of Jesus for like 30 years, but they never had a church in their village. And the husband said, I will never go to church unless uh, they build a church here in my community. And I am, uh, and I am not going to give my life to Christ unless God brings people here to share it with me. Well, hi, my name's Tony. I've traveled halfway around the world. And God decided to bring me to your village. Uh, shared our testimony. Shared the gospel for every people. And I saw this woman. She was off to the side weeping. And I said, what's going on with her? My interpreter tells me that she has been praying for 30 years that her husband could hear the gospel. And, uh, and today uh, he did, and he accepted Christ. Uh, so happy man, happy wife. And then, of course, after that, she said, you need to clean up and do things around the house. <laughs> so everywhere around the world, right? It happens. But see how personal God is? That, that he meets you where you're at. He pursues you that he loves you, that he cares for you. <laughs> I have always been asked the question, what's God doing in India? And I, and I want to say he's up to revealing himself. Uh, he's rich in mercy, he's full of grace, able to redeem people from the darkest places that uh, demon or men have created. 
He is the Savior of the world. There's no one like him, not in the past, not in the present, nor in the future. He's the only begotten Son of God who sacrificed his life so that others may be saved. He is the Lord, and all authority has been given to him. Again, since 2001, we have been doing this message, sharing our testimony, and seeing people come to Christ. I praise God that over 600,000 have embraced him. But it's, it's not really complicated on our part. Um, some of you might be sitting there going, boy, I, I wish I could do that one day. If you know Jesus, you can do it today. You want to write that down in your notes? <laughs> you can do it today. It's not complicated. We share our story, how God saved us or how God has been faithful to us, how God has carried us. It's his story, right? And it's your story of how you interact with a God who is very personal. We walk with Jesus. We walk with the Lord. And this is what the Lord has done in my life. This is the story about God's faithfulness in my times of crisis. This is how he has shown himself to be a good shepherd to me, how he has guided me, how he's protected me, how he's kept me from evil and evil things. You guys got that story, right? Come on, let's see some heads going like that. Right, you got that story. That's your story. It's a beautiful story, and I'll tell you what's so unique about it. It's you interacting with God Almighty. And that's what our audience in India doesn't have, and they can't imagine it. So when you come and share your story, everybody goes, I want that. I want that. And we get to turn on the light. And we get to share Jesus, and we get to pray with people, and things happen. Things happen. God is expanding his kingdom. There is no doubt about that. We see this in uh, such radical ways. In Timothy, Second uh, Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, he says, And the things, Paul writing, and the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Well, part of what we do is we plant churches. We, we work with pastors who want to plant churches, and we go and we share the message. Uh, do you have that picture of, uh, of the crowd there? Was that up there? The church that meets in the street. What? Where's their building? It's right there. There's no building. Uh, and there's other churches that meet by the tree, and then there's other churches that meet by the well, and then there's other churches that meet by the rock. God is gathering his people all over the place. And the church is expanding and going forward. We're training pastors uh, to do um, a ministry that is described in the scriptures. Over 500 have been trained since 2001. Um, we train them in uh, various biblical disciplines, uh, hermeneutics, doctrine of Christ, God, Holy Spirit, disciple-making, evangelism, and church planning. Pastors are hungry for biblical training. Some travel all night by train or bus just to gain a little insight into the scripture and maybe some, some uh, wisdom in shepherding the flock that God has given charge over. Many pastors that I met have two or three churches and they get to these churches on Sunday morning on a bicycle. Or if they are more fortunate, they have a little motorcycle. And they go and they visit these churches and they encourage the followers. And scripture tells us, in your going, make disciples. Really? As you go, make disciples. The, it, the, the idea that's laid out in the scripture and the, the great assumption 
is that we're going, we're moving, we're interacting with people. And as we interact with people, make disciples of Christ, make followers of Christ, introduce people to Jesus. Great things happen when you let Jesus in the conversation. Would you agree? Come on. All right, there it is. All right. All right. I get a little lonely up here, so I need that. Okay? Uh, so God is revealing himself. <laughs> there is no doubt about it. God is revealing himself over and over again. Uh, there was this gentleman that, uh, that I met, and, um, and Candy was with me. Dennis Dick was with me. A couple other people. And Delima was with me, who you're going to meet in a little bit. And, um, and this gentleman, he was blind. And uh, so uh, as our practice, we share the gospel, we share our testimony, we pray for people. <laughs> and a boy walks up with this man, uh, so you're going to see a photo of him in a minute, walks up with him, and he says, uh, uh, sir, uh, he has, oh, another one there, a green background uh, there, if you see that, Lou. Um, he walks up and he says um, uh, that uh, he has been blind for the last 10 years. I said, Really? Uh, what happened 10 years ago? He says, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I said, what did the doctors say? I said, well, I'm blind. Caught that. Okay. Excuse me. Um, so uh, I said, you said 10 years ago. Uh, what happened in your life 10 years ago? And he goes, they planted a church here in the community, and I gave my life to Christ. And I go, and then you became blind? He said, yeah. I said, okay, well, maybe it's spiritual. Let's, let's pray that way. So people have been praying for this guy for a long time. We just ask God to turn on the light, if it's a spiritual thing, to address that. And, uh, and, and so we did. And then he turned around without the assistance of the boy and started walking out of the building. So I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. So I get my interpreter. I said, you stop that guy. You bring him back here. And, uh, and uh, I said, is God doing something? He goes, yeah, yeah, God's doing something. And, uh, and I said, uh, I was told you were blind and you're walking away. I go, my, my interpreter, I go, what's wrong with you? Right, I'm looking at my interpreter, what's wrong with you, man? Why would you tell me that he was blind and now he's walking away? Sir, he was blind. He was going to tell his wife he can see again. <laughs> oh, all right, all right. So this happens again and again and again. And, and I'm, I'm saying all this because I was so dense, I didn't even realize he was healed. God does what God does, and he chooses to use people who are willing to step out in faith and show up and minister on his behalf, and it's amazing. If you know Jesus, you pray, you can do this. It's you. Are you ready to go with me? Yes. Come on. All right. So here's another gentleman. This man, he was mute for a couple years. And uh, we were getting ready to hop in the van after ministering in the village. And his daughter says, you can't go anywhere. You haven't prayed for my father yet. I said, yes, ma'am. Okay, we'll pray for your father. She tells me uh, how he was been mute for a few years. Said, well, that's a shame. Let's pray for him. And so we're praying, and everybody's in the van. Come on, Tony, it's time for lunch. I said, well, this, let me just finish. And asking God to restore this man's voice. And I ask God, please let him sing your praises again. Let him share the good things that you have done again, please. Prayer of mercy, really. And, uh, and I asked the man, I go, do you sense anything? And he nods his head. I go, can you say thank you, Jesus? 
And he muscles out the words, hey, thank you, thank you, Jesus. I thought, woo, I'll go keep practicing that phrase. So it gets a little bit louder, a little bit louder. Uh, his daughter and the interpreter that we have are shocked because this is happening right in front of us, right? And they're backing up going, this just happened? This just happened, all right. So uh, they were very, very excited. Uh, and then I went back a year later to that same village. I go, I remember that well. I remember that tree. I remember this area. This is the man. This is the place where that man got his voice restored. And I go, let's find that man again. So they're running around and find out that he's out working on the fields. So I said, does anybody know him? Can you find someone that knows him? So they're walking around. So all, he's, all the friends that he works with, all his family, they're all in the field. Does anybody know the story of this man? Yes, there's a guy here. He's one of the village elders. Okay, well, let's talk to him. I said, can you tell me about the man that had his voice restored? And this is what's his words, right? Yes, yes, that man never shuts up. I thought, yeah, that's good stuff, man. That's good stuff. Love that. Hmm. There's a, another story I want to share this morning. Uh, sometimes God uh, addresses the false gods that people would have. And, and he shows himself uh, to be the king, to be the Lord of the situation. So I met these three ladies that they were living in a village that worshipped a fertility god. And uh, I seen it was like a tree and it had cloth around it. They made sacrifices around this thing. I said, oh, this looks so silly. But that's what they were doing for years and years and years in this village. And these three Christian women come up to me and they say, people mock us. They say that we are not good wives to our husband because we haven't provided children for them. And all three of them have been married for 10 years. And uh, they're like, we're faithful to the Lord, uh, but we feel that we're just mocked in this community the whole time. Uh, and they go, will you pray for us? And I thought, sure. And I pray that, you, that they have children. I said, oh, sure. So I pray that, that God would bless them with children. In that culture, uh, male children are valued more than females uh, for various reasons right or wrong that this is so we pray and then i found myself there a year later and i remember feeling the impression of they're all going to have babies so i said congratulations you're all going to have babies i gotta go well i was back a year later all of them had babies and they were all baby boys and i thought look at that you were faithful to the lord and the lord blessed you and the people that mocked you who worshiped a fertility God have nothing to say now except that God is amazing. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? God is amazing, and I'm in awe of who he is. So I meet this gentleman, and uh, he comes up to me after we're sharing at a church, and he says, uh, Sir, I have a testimony too. I said, Really? I love hearing that testimonies. What's your testimony? Uh, this is the uh, uh, gentleman standing next to me in the slides. Uh, he says, um, I was dead, and God raised me from the dead. Well, time out. I'm an American. I tend to be cynical. Are you cynical with me? 
I said, really? What did you die from? He goes, well, I had leukemia for 10 years, and they monitored me in the hospital, and they saw my health getting progressively worse. And after 10 years, uh, I died there in the hospital, my father uh, by my side. And I said, uh, how did you know you were dead? He goes, well, I really didn't. Uh, the hospital told me I was dead, and uh, then they marked my time of death, and they were wheeling me down to the morgue. And I go, well, then how did you not become, how did you like this undead thing happen to you? And he goes, sir, an angel came and spoke to me. I said, really? What did that angel say? And he said, arise, for the glory of the Lord is upon you. And I said, hmm, what else did he say? He goes, sir, that was it. I thought, all right, what did that angel look like? Right? Thinking I'm clever. He goes, sir, his skin was like light. I thought, oh boy, I'm listening. I go, what else did he say? Oh, was it. He was gone. I go, then what happened? He goes, well, I got up off the gurney that they were willing me to the morgue, and people started screaming and yelling. <laughs> uh, well, all right, all right. I go, then what happened? He goes, well, they took me to another hospital, and they poked and they prodded for about three weeks, trying to find uh, leukemia in my system. They were arguing, saying that they diagnosed it wrong. How could they get it wrong for 10 years? They looked at all the charts. They said, we didn't get it wrong. These are all the times that we tested him. This guy had leukemia. This guy died. This guy's alive. We don't have an answer. And I go, so what did you do? He goes, well, after three weeks, I got tired of being poked and prodded and asked the same questions again and again and again by different people. So I went home. I said, ah. I go, well, I see you have a wedding ring. You're age 25 when you die. Did you get married right away? He goes, no. He goes, I go, why is that? When you're 25, uh, a man in India living in a village, you're pretty old. And uh, he goes, yeah, nobody wanted to marry me. I said, what? Are you kidding me? And he goes, yeah. I go, why did nobody want to marry you? He goes, sir, I was dead. <laughs> uh, all right, all right. So you were dead. I get it. All right. Um, I go, uh, so he, go, he goes, goes back to his village. Uh, his parents finally find someone that's willing to marry his son. They take us back to his house. We eat and have lunch with them. And uh, it was fantastic hearing the stories, seeing the wedding pictures, hearing his father share. I was like, wow, Lord, you're really doing something unique here. And I'm in awe of you. I'm in awe of you. Amen, amen. God is amazing. <laughs> God is amazing. So God is extending, uh, extending his compassion uh, uh, to various people. We get to see all these wonderful things that the Lord is doing, and we're very, very excited about that. Well, one day I was traveling through uh, India on a train, and the, it was rain was coming in sideways, and it was brutal. And we get into a train station, and I see about 800 children sleeping on the floor at a train station. I said, where's their parents? And they said, sir, these are street children. I said, how can that be, street children? You mean their moms aren't around, their dads aren't around? I said, yes, sir, it's very common. That disturbed me. Uh, the next evening, I was coming back from India, and I stopped at a train station, and I saw a, a little three-year-old girl. Looked to be about three. She was sleeping on a mat all alone by the train station. I said, where are her parents? And I said, sir, uh, her parents laid her down, and then they walk away. And they leave her there. Uh, I go, to the whims of society. Uh, yeah, I go, well, 
does anybody else have a problem with this? I said, sir, it's just common. I said, it's not right. It's not right. And I know that God cares about that little girl. I can't unsee that as I'm sharing this story with you. I see that little girl. And um, uh, God put it on my heart that he wants to show compassion uh, to these street children. There are over 18 million street children in India. Try to get your head around that. 12 million million, uh, of them are boys. And then 6 million are under the age of 6. And you can't go and walk around and experience these wonderful things of the Lord and ignore that. And I felt I can't pretend I didn't see that. I can't just go on. Something needs to be done. So we started an orphanage, and I asked some pastors if they would help me. One raises his hand, and he says, I'll help. And I said, okay, there's three kids I see that they need a home. Would you be willing to open up your house, and I'll raise money to bring food and clothes and school and medicine and all that, and I'll buy you groceries for your family. How's that sound? He goes, great, let's do it. That's how it started. That group grew from 3 to 15 to 45. And now I partner uh, with some other folks in India, Raja and Nalima. And uh, the Lord has brought us together in 2013. And I met them, and they had a very large orphanage, about 200-plus kids. I met Nalima and Raja through uh, uh, Nalima's father. And uh, he had an orphanage of 600 children. And uh, God supplied all of his needs. A very godly man. And I am blessed that I get to work with Raja and Nalima, who oversee our orphanage. And uh, we have been through trials uh, together, but at this time I'd like to uh, invite Raja and Nalima to share some of the stories. I'm going to be asking some questions from them, and they're going to share with us this morning. So would you welcome Raja and Nalima, please? So uh, his name is Raja. Mm-hmm. I always shorten it and, and butcher his name and call him Raj all the time. Raj, like Roger, but it's Raja, all right, and Nilima. So um, a couple questions for you guys, just so that the congregation get to know you a little bit. Um, uh, how did um, you guys get involved in the children's home? How did that develop for you guys? So let me greet in the precious name of Jesus. Uh, thank you for inviting us here on the stage. Thank you. So to answer to Tony's question, like uh, I was been uh, uh, working in South Asia for Motorola company as a software engineer. So Nilima and her father and their family are involved in children ministry since three decades, 30 years. So uh, she was more into the orphan care and all. So I was not like, uh, I don't have any knowledge on that, but uh, once we got married, so I came to uh, know how they're taking care of the children and all. So I got inspired. So we were there in Malaysia working for Motorola for like uh, seven years. 
So I quit my job and thought that like I have a calling, like God is calling to uh, leave your comfort zone and go and serve the kids because it's the greatest commandment, second greatest commandment, love your neighbors. And also like in Acts it says like uh, uh, leave your Zuda somewhere and go to the ends of the world uh, to share the gospel. So because I'm leaving my Indian uh, kids on the road, so uh, so God has uh, you know, really done a great thing in our lives to go back to India and serve for the kids. So it all started like that. We started with like 40 kids caring for them, and and we started a children home with 200 kids, and we are doing God's work, serving for the poor and less privileged children uh, who are vulnerable in communities, and also uh, taking the gospel to the unreached areas. So God is great, doing great things through us. So we are honored to be servants of God. Praise the Lord. So uh, Raj and Nilima, your, your ministry suffered some real trauma in the last two years, COVID and whatnot. Um, what happened and how did God encourage your faith during that time of, of trauma? Yeah, we all, we all went through this same pandemic situation. Uh, 2020, March hit in India, uh, very badly COVID. So many suffered, even uh, our family members also uh, got COVID. So at that time, uh, government has passed strict rules to not to have uh, uh, children in children's homes uh, because like it's easy to uh, get from each other. So even the Supreme Court ordered in India, like, uh, send away all the kids uh, from the schools and homes and orphanages. So that was uh, very bad on the part of the kids. So uh, we tried hard but could not do anything. So uh, we tried to restore the kids into the villages. And we have those pastors' contacts and some families who are willing to take the kids and uh, give them a meal or do something like that. So it all disturbed everything everywhere in the world. So it do happen at our orphanage. So we are able to send the kids back homes. And what we have been praying, like, uh, uh, why did it happen? Because no one has the answer. So the doors are shut down for the kids. And they're, they're again on the roads. They're vulnerable for everything. So, um, but it didn't stop like that. But God is a great God. Uh, it seems like it's a closed door. but. God has opened the door wider into the villages because at that time we are able to take the food supplies to the villages, meet the village people, meet the communities, encourage them with the word of God, and we try to serve the kids in their villages. That's what we did in the two years. So God has opened multiple doors and uh, multiple opportunities rather than serving the kids at one place. We are now serving the kids in the villages also. So that that's... That's like closing a door, but our God is faithful God who opened multiple doors at that time. Oh, praise the Lord. So what we thought was closed, God opened up much bigger. Much bigger. For you guys. Yeah. Very good. Praise the Lord on that. Nalima. Maybe how many, uh, uh, what, how about this? Um, uh, how many children are waiting to be sponsored at this point? And then what does VBS mean to you and the children that are there? Good morning, everyone. Uh, happy to see you all like this. So, we have 70 kids who are waiting for the sponsorship. 
And right now we have 30 kids on the campus and helping 70 kids who are in their villages. Due to the pandemic situations and COVID situations, things have changed uh, in India in a different way. Because you know, we don't have a good medical facilities and good uh, care. So many people, many uh, people were affected very badly. Uh, so we have so many kids who have lost their parents during this season. So right now we have 70 kids who are waiting for the sponsorship. Uh, coming to the VBS, like in churches, in India we have churches, uh, we have uh, Sunday schools, but it's a, a different way. Like the Sunday school teachers, they're just uh, one side, one side thing. Like the teachers teach uh, in a formal way. Uh, kids will be like involved in a little bit way. So when I notice the VBS uh, from Americans, it's a different, like it's two way. Uh, the kids and the VBS teachers or VBS uh, friends will be involved both the sides. They expect the kids to be involved. So uh, when we were having so many kids on the campus before COVID, uh, the kids really enjoyed the VBS from Americans or whoever it is. So I uh, asked Tony, how can it be possible to continue the VBS uh, in future? So it's a good thing to have VBS teams in future uh, in an activity way, in a practical way. Very good. <laughs> now, uh, I all this said, you know, VBS, Vacation Bible School, we can bring some people, we could bring teams. Are you guys ready for more teams to come uh, from the United States and, and minister alongside you guys? Yeah, 100%. 100%? Yeah. 100%. Not, 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 not 90? No, no, no. Oh, not man. even 99.9. .9. All righty. <laughs> all righty. All righty.